0: Well that's a good way to start the recording, Kevin. Um thanks for
1: that. <laughs>
3: Good evening, hello, and welcome to the latest Sports Italian Football podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Conor Clancy, and joining me is, you've already heard him, Kev Pogorzowski. Kev, hello.
0: <laughs> Hi, Connor, how you doing? I'm not
3: too bad, thank you, mate. How are you keeping?
0: I'm alright, it's been a long weekend.
3: Tell me about it. A long weekend with very little sleep. Um, looking at you, Vito, it doesn't look like you've had too much sleep this weekend either. How are you keeping?
2: Uh, look, I'm struggling a bit, still getting used to the time difference between Europe and Australia. But yeah, just battling on. You know, it's a long trip, so just got to take it as it comes. The listeners will want to know: Are you two together right now? No, not right now. But we were yesterday. Ah, oh, okay, nice. Um, Kev, what do I have to ask him?
0: Oh, ask Vito about his trip to London and if he enjoyed the uh, the complimentary. Uh, gifts that we give people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What happened? (laughs) What happened was I landed at Heathrow Airport in London on Wednesday morning. Ah. So I got in at 6.20 and it was too early to check into my hotel. So I went for breakfast at uh, Hawksmoor in one of the restaurants there in central London. Anyway, there's one particular one where they do the breakfast and I went there, ordered the English breakfast and all that. And then I see these cubes on the table and I thought they were, you know, pieces of candy or lollies. So I started eating one of them (laughs) and then I realized this is really hard. So then I put two and two together. I found out they were sugar cubes. Hang on.
3: Did you say you had one and then decided to go for two together? No, no, sugar. with the first right, post- I got it,
2: I've got uh, it, got it got One it, got that it. I ate. We tried um, to eat. Do you not have
3: sugar cubes down in Australia?
2: Uh some places don't really do it. Most of the sugar comes in packets. So thin sure like packets, and then you just rip them from the top. There we go. Um
3: I dive into the sugar culture of Northern Europe.
2: Yeah. Sorry about that, <laughs> listeners. I didn't know
3: that was gonna come either, to be fair. But right from from one tedious Topic of conversation to another.
0: It Let's tickled start
3: me. with the latest Serie A action for the weekend, which was the joy that was Verona and L.A.C. Milan one. Um, this was this was horrid, Kev.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a really really hard watch, and I saw um somebody comment on on Twitter that you know there's there's really no sign that this is any different to what was under Reno Gattuso really. It's a bit tedious. They don't seem to really have any plan for how they're moving forward. And Piontek's obviously struggling, but he looks a little isolated up front, and I just can't work out where they're going to continue going with a single striker.
3: Yeah, it's probably too early to judge Gianpaolo, given what he's trying to implement there. But I don't know. It's just Milan, isn't it? There's something about them. They just can't get things right. Vito...
2: Is it going to be another one of those seasons for them? At this stage, it looks that way. But one thing I really got a question from Giampaolo is why is he not utilising the new signings often uh, enough? So far, he's been starting these three rounds with the old guard trying to play his football, which I find rather odd. Uh, Eventually, he's got to start integrating the likes of Benacer, Krunic... And Ante Rebic in the team. Then they also have the Portuguese youngster, Rafael Leal. And you've got to wonder when he's going to play too. So, yeah, it just makes me wonder why is he going to go with this attacking philosophy and then try the old guard who look out of place with his system and they're not really adding much to the game. That's Empoli and Sampdoria. Uh, they were good at intricate passes and they would move the ball rather quickly, at least when they're playing at their best. Milan in this game were playing at a rather slow tempo, especially in the first half. And although there were a bit of pr- bit of improvement in the second, you could still see that, you know, the effectiveness of the passes wasn't really there. Um, they weren't that very inventive. And even the passing patterns, they weren't as, uh, you know, intriguing or exciting as they yeah. can be.
3: And in a Giampaolo team, right, this is a the type of football that should stretch opponents when they've got 11 men on the pitch. Verona had 10 for 70 minutes, Kevin. Milan only scored from a penalty.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if sometimes that makes your job a little bit harder. I thought the red card was, was harsh uh, on Stepinski because there was, you know... <laughs> Uh, it was Musacchio, wasn't it? But anyway, the, the Milan defender sort of slightly ducked. His, his foot was high, but he kind of got to the ball as well before his, his foot um, sort of struck his, struck his head. But yeah, I think sometimes when then the plan was probably to try and contain Man in, at Milan anyway, that they're just going to dig in deeper and, and make it a bit of a war of attrition. It's one
3: of those, I think it's um, by the letter of the law. It qualified as serious foul play, so it was a straight red card. But yeah, it's it's one of those, isn't it? It's hard to
0: to see that and think it's an actual red card offence. But
3: when I mean, we're talking
0: it... about laws, the whole VAR was farcical in this game as well. There must have been there must have been ten minutes held up for the the penalty decision and then the Calabria red card. We're going to talk, talk get, about they, VAR. They man. gave three minutes injury time yeah i know dov was there for us and he must be missing his last train tonight because it felt like it just went on for ages
3: uh, i actually was with someone who i think we've had on the podcast i've spoken to him alessio de giuseppe is a journalist from uh bologna and he was sitting beside me in the press box today in ferrara and we were talking about var this season it is a little bit of a mess it's taken a bit of a step back because of these new rules and the new definitions of what a handball is and things like that are making every decision take twice as long. So we had one in the first half, but there was a minimum of five minutes stoppage. There was seven minutes out on the first half, but Serie A games are taking a lot longer than the usual time at the beginning of this season. But hopefully it's just a case of ironing that out in the first couple of weeks, months of the season, and then they'll get back to normal. But, um, Vito, I know it was only a penalty, but Christoph Piontek did score. He's going to take some sort of boost from that, surely?
2: Yeah, um, I hope he does, because it seems that in pre-season and in the games in Serie so far, he hasn't been getting the best service, and even some of his touches haven't been that fantastic. Mind you, I think he's had a bit of bad luck as well. Uh, We'll see. It's a penalty, so... Uh, probably one of the, you know, if you can, one of the easier ways to score a goal. But once he scores in open play, I think that would be the real boost. And I think he was very unlucky not to get a goal uh, stand because when Silvestri tried to get the ball, I don't think he held it long enough for my liking. So Piontek could have had a double, but it wasn't a B. Uh that's kind of the story of his last
3: couple of weeks, I suppose. Um, Does anyone want to say anything else about this?
2: Because I don't. No. Well, from Verona's perspective, uh, Donnarumma did get forced into a save early on. And even when they went down to 10 men, Verona, Valerio Verre, who's online from Sampdoria, he actually had two very good chances to score. One of them, he made an exquisite first touch after a long ball and just he needed to get the volley right. Otherwise it would have been a incredible goal. But again, you know, that's where you gotta take your chances, especially these provincial sides. Yeah, that's true.
3: Um <laughs> the Milan Derby's next week. Inter are just gonna wipe their hands with Milan at this rate. But let's let's go to Inter because they are top of Serie A. Cad, did you hear me? Inter are top of Serie A.
0: I know my my prediction's gonna come true.
3: We might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves after just three games, Um,
0: We have a a title race.
3: Top four looks fun, doesn't it? Inter, Bologna, Juve, Torino. Um, Torino, who have played 66.666 recurring percent of the games of Juve. Only a point behind them. Serie is amazing this season. Um, But no, on a serious note, Inter look okay. It wasn't their best performance the other evening, but they they got the job done against Udinese, who themselves had 10 men for... A large part of the game for reasons we will come on to. But yeah, they got the job done and Kevin was Stefano Sensi again.
0: Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, I feel as though I was blind to Stefano Sensi last year because he didn't really come on my radar until um, he signed for Inter this summer. And actually, I, I don't think he featured a lot in when, you know, when our Reuters did our players of the season or our, our teams of the year. It wasn't a name that I came across and he's looked phenomenal for them. You know, I've been really, really impressed with just his energy, the amount of, you know, the, the willingness to get on the ball. He can sometimes be a bit shot happy. I mean, i covered the first game um, Inter had this season and he was just, it was like a shoot on site policy he had. But if he's going to score goals like he scored uh, Saturday evening, you know, because the determination to get in front of the defenders and put that ahead of him was, was wonderful.
3: Yeah, well... He- He seems to have added a lot to his game because this year, in three Serie A games, he has two goals and two assists. Last season in 28, he got two goals and four assists. He's obviously playing a slightly different role, obviously with a lot better quality of players around him as well. And you don't know, if Sassuolo had kept going as they had at the start of last season, maybe we would have noticed him a little bit more. But Sassuolo were very, very poor after about November last year and in truth they could have gotten relegated and no one but he really would have noticed they were that bad by the end of the season but um Vito you're a fan of Sensi as well and it was quite unusual to see him score a header from a Diego Godin cross it's the sort of thing you would expect to see the other way around
2: yeah well it's rather surprising because Godin he's more or less a stopper he's not a ball playing defender but he bent a really nice cross and Sensi, he was probably the smallest player on the pitch, so for him, out of all people, to get the header, that was, uh, uh, yeah, rather incredible, to be honest. Genuinely impressive technique on that as well, because the ball's coming from
3: behind him at a really difficult height, and he manages to loop it up in off the court. It was a beautiful header. I'm really liking him. I think he's my favourite player that I've watched so far this season, and I'm looking forward to next weekend, because I'm going up to Milan for that derby, and it's just going to be nice to watch him. He could probably terminate the pieces alone. But. Kev, I don't know. Inter going into the derby next week. But before we act, no, 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 no. We have to talk about someone. The genius, the match winner, the creative spark that is Antonio Candreva. He won into that game. He got Rodrigo de Paul sent off, and the most genius act you will see in football all season. And Conte
0: trusts some. I don't know, I still have my doubts over Candrava. Although, you know, I think it is, it's the whole it is the whole Conte impact of, you know, he finds he finds parts of the system that he wants. Um I don't wanna you you've probably seen more on the DePaul sending off than I have because I got two relatively poor angles that they showed on the extended highlights that I watched. Um it, you know looked like a, an act of stupidity from from him It's exactly um, what it was Oh yeah so I, I don't know I thought I wasn't sure if you were alluding to candraver maybe made a little bit more of it than he should but then doesn't every footballer um, who, who stays on their feet uh, these days if they've been struck anywhere around above chest height
3: It's one of those situations Condraver like gave him a little a little rub under the chin and then the Paul slapped oh. him. So, obviously, in that situation, you are going to go down because you don't know if anyone's actually seen it, right? So, if you go down, then they look at VAR and then you know that they get someone sent off. Can a genius.
0: Yeah, the VARs, you know, when you say you don't know if anybody's seen it, we're in a, you know, you're in a huge stadium with probably more cameras than even in your little provincial stadia. So, you know, you've you've got to be smarter, haven't you?
3: Oh, yeah, I was more saying that from driver's point of view. De Paul's an idiot because uh, VAR exists, you know, and it's existed in Italian football. This is now the third season. You can't get away with something like that. You can't just slap someone in the face in the middle of a football pitch and not get sent off for it. It was it was amazing because he still then appealed it when he got sent off. He's kind of like, what? Are you serious? Do you not remember what you just did two minutes ago? It was. I love that. Yeah. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, Vito, Milan Skrinha is settling into this back three very, very nicely. A lot of people were kind of sceptical as to whether or not he was able
2: to, but he's proving everyone
3: that doubted him wrong.
2: Well, he is a quality defender. And in that ill-fated season, when some thought he had Vincenzo Montella as a coach, Samp did play with a back three, and it was uh, Skrinha's first season. In Serie it was probably a bit raw, made a few mistakes, but uh, his uh, current teammate at Inter, Andrea Ranocchia, was at some two, and Ranocchia was, needless to say, the one making the most mistakes in that back three, so Skriniar was still all right then. But now, the way Skriniar has progressed as a player um, in the last three years or so, and also... With a coach like Antonio Conte, who really knows how to set up a defence, I think uh, he's going to get a lot more recognition now. And, uh, yeah, again, without sounding like we're preaching to the choir too much, uh, I really do hope that uh, non-Serial fans hear more of him because he is uh, a fantastic player in his own right.
3: Yeah, well, they haven't had the biggest of tests just yet, having to. Kev, they've only conceded one goal. I'm gonna push you for a prediction. How many goals will Inter concede in Serie a this season?
0: Ooh. Uh let's say thirty.
3: Thirty in thirty-eight yeah. games.
0: Yeah, just slightly under, less than one a game.
3: Okay. I'm, I'm gonna 30, go to I'm to
0: think, Yeah, I'm trying to think what what the numbers were last last year.
3: You can't just say something like that. At the drop of a hat, but last season Juventus conceded 30 goals, Napoli conceded 36, and Inter yeah. conceded 33.
0: Okay, so that supports my prediction.
1: From I'm right. happy. I'm happy. Do so you think Conte 30. is only gonna
3: make them three goals better in defense?
1: Uh, Conte, no, I'm,
0: sticking, I'm sticking with my right. prediction.
3: i uh, right, I'm gonna say they're gonna concede 25, so we'll put yeah. a little bit, but we'll put a beer on that, all right?
0: So, yeah. Uh, yeah, as long as you write it down, because my old mind won't remember what I said. It's exactly Definitely what I'm saying, in,
3: because I'll remember if I win, and I won't if I don't.
0: But <laughs> okay.
3: We'll leave it at that. Um, at the other end, Romelu Lukaku didn't have his best day. Uh, he was a little bit just not on it, basically. Um, Lautaro Martinez looked immediately brighter once he did come on. Obviously, neither of them scored. But Lukaku is going to have games like this, Vito, right? Especially while he's still settling in. There's no reason for people to be worrying.
2: Well, that's what I believe is the key. It's all about Lukaku trying to adapt to Italian football, the more tactical and technical nature of it. And even the best players that have played in Serie A, they did not uh, start off well at all. So, And, yeah, whether it's Lukaku or any other player, you can't really single too many players out if they start off poorly in Serie A. So I think he is ideal for contest tactics, and I reckon over time he will improve. And even if it's not in the first half of the season, perhaps in the second half, he's got a better understanding of how content wants him to play, how his teammates move, and so forth. And maybe he might hit a run or form... In the later part of the year, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, well, we we did have Dovsky give on it both
3: of those games. I don't think I'm going to talk to him this week, so you're not missing anything just yet, you YouTube viewers. But the biggest game of the weekend was probably that at the Stadio Artemio Franchi, right, where Fiorentina and Juventus came head to head and they drew nil nil, and Fiorentina should have won. Kev.
0: Yeah, they were they were dominant. They sort of they had three times more. Goal attempts on uh, the, the, the new Ventus. And, you know, I say it, was, it was just wastefulness on their part, I think, that didn't secure them what would have been... A, a, I was going to use the word memorable, but um certainly an enjoyable win over their... Do we still call it bitter rivals? Um,
3: from one side, yes. And we are hmm. speaking about the side where that is bitter, yeah. But... Yeah, any win over Juve is memorable for Fiorentina. It would have been memorable. Do you, why do you hesitate to commit to that word?
0: Well, you know, it's a memorable. So you you look back at it. If you you know, if you if you won a, a, a prize, you know, a trophy or something at the end of the season, there's those victories that have secured your points. I don't think even if they'd won, it's gonna it would do any more than allow them to finish mid-table this year. So you know, it it doesn't have that sort of significance. But um. Does that yeah, not give it more
3: significance? Because they're not going to do anything this year. Juve are all confident. Uh, They've got Cristiano. No, in. I
0: think mean, I think mean, you still kind of lose it in your memory as the years sort of go by. And if it hasn't actually um, impacted on a sort of a trophy or made even maybe a, like a European finish, which I still don't think they'll get. But as I say, it was it was largely their own fault because they just missed so many chances. There was that Dalbert header in the first half. There was one towards the end that Castrovilli sort of just. Just didn't make a connection at all, really, and just sliced it towards the corner flag.
3: Yeah, um, Dalbert was he, he was he was bad. He must have been so frustrating if you were a Fiorentina fan because he gave the ball away a few times. That header was horrid. Um, but I'm just looking at this Fiorentina team, and they've got Martin Caceres, Dalbert. I don't know, it's not the most inspiring team, even though there's a lot of excitement around them there. Are we getting kind of blinded, Vito, by the off-field stuff and the fact that they've signed a big name in Ribery? And are Fiorentina still just that, as Vieri has kind of said, team who will be happy to
2: finish 10th? At this stage, it looks that way, because I reckon Comiso has been one of those guys that he's talked a lot, and they have brought in players, but the ones that are of any great quality, to be honest, they're players that are past their prime. So Boateng is 32, and Ribéry is 36, and you can't expect them to be like Fabio Quagliarella. So uh, they're really missing players in that 25 to 28-year-old age bracket where right, are in the peak of their powers and can really lift the team. So you either got guys that are probably too young, guys like Kastrovilli, uh, Dusan Vlahovic, and um, Lirola, as well. Lirola, Sotil, and Chiesa, he's still 21. So it's a very youthful team, Dragovsky and goal. So you've got guys that are either one or the other. There's no one that's right in the prime. Maybe Petzella, but he's 28, so... I think for for Fiorentina, they might take a bit more time to really improve, but I think Montella, he's got to get get results now. Ultimately, they need wins. So for the talk and all the, you know, maybe not theatrics like Ferrero at some, but he's trying to grab a lot of attention, but there's hardly any results coming through as yet. Uh. On the other side, Kev, what happened to you, though? Because...
3: They weren't really there, were they?
2: No, it, they just didn't
0: turn up. Whether that's the return of the amount of players they they no doubt had on the international duty, um, they just they had no bite, no determination. Really, they just were kind of going through the motions most of the most of the ninety minutes from from what it looked like.
3: I have a couple of theories on this. Two theories combined. One was obviously getting three players forced off with injury isn't going to help so they couldn't really stick to their game plan. But the second one, and it's something that has quite annoyed me this weekend, is the fact that the game was played at 3 o'clock. Ridiculous. It's too hot. Players can't do anything. They can barely run. So, you see, it's probably no surprise that Federico Chiesa caused a couple of the the chances that Fiorentina had in the game because he's he's 21 years old. Cristiano Ronaldo and Gonzalo Higuain could barely move. It was it must have been upwards of 30 degrees at three o'clock in the afternoon and sorry i do this thing where they they don't play before six o'clock in the first couple of rounds of the season but we're still having summer weather here it's still very 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 hot and yeah we are here as as well um i couldn't wrap my head around it because they're doing the water breaks which means every game is 10 minutes longer as well and i don't know i i I got quite annoyed about this this weekend. And then someone in the press box said it to me today as well. And we had a, we had a nice big argument with each other making the same point. It, it was beautiful. But yeah, the game shouldn't be played at three o'clock. So maybe next season they should look into that because it's it's mad. We, we saw in the, the Lazio game today as well. I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of contributed to Lazio just losing the run of themselves in the second half because they were wrecked. It was 32 degrees in Ferrara where it's humid and there's not a breeze in sight it's it's not good
0: yeah but, I, but that is I, from memory this is traditionally when the the 3 p.m games and things start getting played again aren't they
3: yes it is but um the and climate without is going into different.
0: global warming maybe yeah. it's you know
3: but but you can't not go into it because
0: no no <laughs> yeah but, yeah so they need now. to look at trends as to when you know it's it's staying hotter later in the year now and yeah. things and maybe move that whatever they're Whatever the, the date is that they, you know, even if it's like the international break, and then they say when we come back from that, we go back to playing all those games because obviously a driver in this as well is the TV money. Yeah. Because Serie A want to be able to spread these games out because, well, it's it's difficult for us to cover the games as much as anything else when, uh, say, the first week of the season when they're all starting at quarter to eight in the evening or you know just over a couple of days is difficult. So.
3: Yeah, uh, I would agree, but it's one of those cases where if the players physically can't play. Mm don't play it um and especially with especially nowadays right because they all spend their their summers traveling all around the world and then they come back for the first couple of weeks of the season and the temperature doesn't actually allow them to play properly i don't know i just don't like it the players should be made a little bit more important and i think it should probably be the first of october or you
0: do what many other leagues do which is just put two teams at their early fixture that nobody cares about Mm. you know put spell put spell sassuolo uh, or you know shave verona and yeah nobody actually realizes because they think it's going to be a dull nil nil draw
3: no it's true because yesterday you had the biggest game of the, the round today we had a champions league team playing at half 12 and then a champions league contender playing at three o'clock and it just i don't know i'm not going to go into it too much we already have done too much on it, to be fair, but I did speak to our guy, Vieri Capretta, who was at the Artemio Franchi for this, so if you're only watching on YouTube, go and download the audio, and you can hear me talk to Vieri, and he'll tell you all about everything, including Castrovilli, who is amazing. Joining me now on the phone is Vieri Capretta, who was at the Stadio Artemio Franchi on Saturday afternoon for Fiorentina's scoreless draw with Juventus. First things first, Vieri, I want to talk to you about Gaetano Castrovilli, because He's young, he's 22, he's fresh from Serie B, but what a player he looks to be already this season. And his confidence is striking so far, particularly against the champions Juventus.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, he came out with a standing ovation, a lot of enthusiasm, all the uh, journalists in the press box talking about him spectacularly. He, he was someone who's making a difference at Cremonese already and obviously now he's uh, being able to show his abilities in Italy's top flight. But I think, uh, as Montella said, he can become the new Antonioni if he does score some goals and becomes a bit better in decision-making. But at the minute, um, he is probably Fiorentina's best player. So big things for him coming up uh, in the rest of the season if he keeps it up.
3: Yeah, well, let's hope that he does keep it up because he certainly looks a really, really bright talent right now. But another thing I noticed was the atmosphere at the Artemio frankie because obviously the change of ownership has kind of changed things there a little bit this summer. What was it like? Because Fiorentina Juve obviously has its own particular atmosphere. I witnessed it firsthand last season myself. But how was the atmosphere there, I guess, before, during and after the game on Saturday?
1: I'm sure you've all seen pictures from the Frankie of course, uh, of the choreography, which involved not only the Curva Fiesole, but the entire stadium or, well, large parts of it. It was it was amazing. Obviously, uh, the fans are responsive to the the love and enthusiasm Camiso brings to the club. And finally, there's, there's a, not a hate relationship, but a love relationship between fans, players, and of course, ownership. And whenever Fiorentina play Juventus, this is the kind of atmosphere you want and Of course, going into the next um, couple of months, this could really make the whole team bring it up uh, a level and and raise the bar, really, for Fiorentina.
3: As many positives as there were of both on the pitch and in the stands, there is still a problem, isn't there, up top? They've not got anyone who can actually put away these chances, which I believe you did actually say, whether it was in the second week or before the the before the season started when we spoke but there's a problem isn't there they need they need a number nine to actually put away the chances that they are clearly so capable of creating
1: well of course i mean that's what we saw in the starting lineup a center forward and i think it was part of the game plan to have two players that would come in like kiaz and and play with the midfield and stretch out juventus and put pressure on their midfield which was often outnumbered, and in the end, that's what created um, the chances for Fiorentina as well. So yes, someone was missing a real centre-forward that could uh, finish off all the the product of the of the work in midfield, but then you needed those extra men to make it work and um, and create those chances in the first place. So I think montella has been working on getting the balance right, and then eventually... Uh, bringing in someone who can actually score it could be Pedro the Brazilian it might be Boateng or Vlahovic uh, but the first work was getting the rest of the team to create those chances in the first place
3: lastly then on this it would be wrong if we didn't speak about Juventus they were pretty poor pretty anonymous as we me and Kev have kind of said on the podcast already Above all, they look disjointed. Do you think this is just because, obviously, they were forced into three changes due to injuries, which no team is really going to be able to react too well to? Or is there a deeper-lying issue there for Maurizio Sarri?
1: Yes, I think every Juventus fan can be very disappointed. Uh, Not just from the result, which, uh, of course... was was even better than what Juve deserved. But from the performance, uh, I wrote in my analysis after the game that Juve were the worst possible blend between Allegri and Sarri. They weren't entertaining, as you'd expect from a a Sarri team, and they weren't uh, victorious either. And I think, yes, the injuries played a part and all the things Sarri put together as excuses, um, the grass, the time of day, the temperature, all of these things did play a part but obviously it was the same pitch for Fiorentina, it was the same sun for Fiorentina. And um, yes, you can argue the injuries uh, were important, but then, you know, not many teams can bring on the likes of Emre Can, Dybala, Bernardeschi. That's Juventus. So I think it was just not good enough and uh, it was definitely a step back after uh, the victory against uh, Napoli, but I wouldn't be worried. I think Juve are still the best team in Serie A and one of the best in Europe.
3: Okay, that's great. Thank you very much, Fieri. Speak to you again soon. All right, second-place team from last season, Napoli. They beat Sampdoria 2-0. And strangely, Vito, Sampdoria will probably be relatively pleased that it was only 2-0.
2: Yeah, I think uh, at this stage, especially after the shambolic start we've had in the first two rounds, 2-0 against Napoli is not so bad. Not only that, our record against the Napolitani in Naples is not particularly good at all. So it was really a case of limitation damage. That being said, I thought there were a few chances where some should have scored. So early in the first half, Alex Ferrari had a chance from a corner. Then Emiliano Rigoni was in a one-on-one situation where he shot straight at Alex Moutet. Perhaps he probably could have dribbled around him or chipped he should him. should have buried so that. Yeah, very wasteful. And Cuadrilla had two efforts, wholly a bit tricky for the normal player. But you'd think with Cuadrilla's mercurial talents, he would have been able to convert those chances. So, speaking uh, of quags, quags, speaking mm. of
3: quags, Kev, did mm. you see the pass that he played for that Rigoni chance? Oh my
0: god! Uh, oh, to be honest, I hadn't realised it was it was him that made the pass. I was. More furious about how wasteful Rigoni was with the chance. I'm glad Vito said he should have scored. I thought Vito, with his his samp hat on, was going to excuse him for it being a wonderful save, but you know, he really, he should have done so much better.
3: He should have. He's um he's stolen a, an assist off Quags there for missing that because it was put yeah. on a plate for him.
0: Yeah, if it was if it was Quags that provided it. What do you think if i have just told it was? Of, well, okay, as, as it was Quags <laughs> had, he sliced sliced it straight between. Straight between those players through for Rigoni, yes. It was a wonderful pass. I just hadn't realised it was him. You had
3: to say the word "sliced," didn't you? You can't give him the credit to say it was an outside of the foot pass. Sliced.
0: Well, I meant more the way he cut through the defence, as in slice, rather than... uh, Was it as good as Ilicic's outside of the uh, foot pass for uh, Slovenia?
3: Can can we talk about that? That was
0: Uh, absolutely
3: filth. I, I retweeted
0: it a couple of times.
3: You shouldn't be allowed to do things like that. If if anyone's listening who hasn't seen that Josip Ilicic pass from the international break, where have you been? And stop listening to this podcast right now and go find it.
0: Oh, I You'll might have only seen it it was Huh? I
3: might
0: have only seen it because it was against Poland.
3: Okay. Um, obviously, I've got my reasons for seeing it, but Kev, come on! How good of a pass was that Ilicic one? Oh, it was. It
0: was. Um, it was unbelievable. It really was because it was. It's not just the. Uh, it's not just the technique, it's the distance at which he plays it. Um, it's the distance that the player's away from him that he sees that run. And I suppose you give a little bit of credit to the striker for, for making the run in the first place. But I think you make that run because you know he's got the quality to, to deliver it. Um, I was reading something. I was reading some Champions League promo stuff in a, in a publication. I won't name publications here. And they were just saying about how he's found his... If you like something, princip-
3: you can do it.
0: It's World Soccer. Okay. But, you know, he was highlighted as a sort of breakout star after finally finding some consistency that he's, you know, at at Atalanta, which he kind of infuriated fans of both Palermo and Fiorentina by having that ability and not really um, always putting it into practice. But, yeah, the longer we have him in Serie A, the better.
3: I agree. Anyway, back to this game. Um, (laughs) Josip Lecic can squeeze in anywhere he wants. But back to this game. I was surprised oh. by Elmas for Napoli. He was quite good, and when he, when he signed, people were kind of wondering why they had, they had
2: signed him. But he's doing okay in his, these early fixtures, Vito. I think that he's uh, he probably offers a bit more on the ball than someone like Alan, who's, who provides great energy and directness. But Elmas, despite his age, he looks a bit more composed on the ball. And, you know, he's one of those players that can be the ball winner and the ball distributor in central midfield. So I reckon, you know, with more time, he can add some extra fluidity to Napoli's play. And also when they're defending, he'll be one of those guys that can win the ball back because um, you have Fabian Ruiz and Piotr Zielinski in that midfield. So throughout that season they're going to be offering a lot more offensively than Elmas. So I think he'll fit in very nicely in Ancelotti's team. Yeah, you would expect him to, right? I'm just watching a, a video clip
3: of him from the weekend just now making an absolute mockery of Jason Murillo. I know he's not the most difficult player to make a mockery of, but yeah, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I'm going to retweet it, so if you want to see it. Just go on Twitter now and you'll have a look at it. Beautiful play. But, um, Kev, I'm going to put you on the spot with a question. What is Napoli's biggest strength? Um, There's a correct answer here.
0: Well, they're, well Carlo Ancelotti. Wrong. But, it, uh, no, probably, they're, they're, I was going to say their attack. but Actually, their defence looks so solid this year. <laughs> it didn't against Juve, did it? wow no yeah sorry i'm thinking on paper i suppose yeah I was, I was thinking about i was thinking about their probably their biggest strength is Koulibaly and then thinking that Manalas has also joined them this year but they've got so much they've got so much going forward that you kind of you know that that you that, that Juve game could easily have gone the other way yeah um but then that's not a way that you you know look look at look at conte's impact at inter that is not how you go about trying to win a league title plenty of teams haven't unfortunately they will score more than you isn't the attitude to have but they are an embarrassment of the riches in attack
3: yeah what specifically about their attackers at they'll it, it's that they're all best mates did you ever oh. see did you see Dries Martins when he got his second goal that was then not given and then it was given again and he did a second celebration
0: well, I was, well, I saw him hugging Lorente This may have been missed on my highlights, but I saw him hugging Lorente. The yeah. first he sat down with a ball in his in his shirt and did a little drive He did, I, yeah. Which I didn't um, understand the context too. Maybe you can.
2: No, I
3: don't know, uh, but I loved it. It was, it was cute. But then, yeah, he did that. But then he got the goal and he celebrated. And then it was up in the air. And then it was given again. And Lorente came over and gave him a little hug. And Callihan ran over celebrating as if it was a, a new goal. And then Martins ran over to the to the dugout and gave Insignia and Kevin Malqui a little cuddles. It was nice. They're all best I think, friends.
0: I think a few of the players have been there together for quite a while now though, haven't they? And mm. I also think some of that some of that comes from when you're when you're winning, you know, they've been the second best team in Italy for a while now. They've not really had any periods of difficulty that, you know, where you would probably see them see them on the pitch. You know, arguing with each other, whatever it is, over misplaced passes and things. Um, because last year they 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 weren't really any threat to them not finishing in second place. So they were very they were under very little pressure. So they can all be jovial in a good mood and enjoying their daily work. They can. The voice of pessimism there from me. Yeah,
3: I know. I'm just trying to get you to have a little smile on your
0: face, Calvin. But you're not. Yeah. You're not allowing me to. Vito. Uh, Oh, i was gonna say work call this my objective perspective and i am supposed to embrace it but it isn't negativity that's what my personal my professional development review told me
3: well i'll tell you that's a crock of nonsense
0: <laughs> okay
3: that's what that is um veto you only conceded two goals this or two goals this week which is nice Played a back three, no Omar Colley. So you just had one liability in the back three in
2: Murillo. Is this the way forward? I think the back three is the way forward, especially with Alex Ferrari. But that must be said, there is another liability there that's not (laughs) Murillo or Colley. It's a guy called Basco Regini. Now, unless, unless you are a diehard supporter of Italian football, especially Serie A, Uh, You might not know much about who he is, but he's been on the books for several years now. Um, He's been very indecisive about what is his preferred position. Left back, left wing back, centre back, but he can't really do all those things well. And probably the only thing I've really been impressed with him with was back in the 2013-2014 season, um, he made this great assist for Edda in a victory against Kiev where he rang right along the left wing. Other than that, he's another defensive liability. And I wonder, does he have any dirty photos of the Sump hierarchy or something? I don't know. Apparently, he's a really nice guy. Um, some of the Sump fans, you know, they take photos with him. When they do the um, Easter visits to the Gaslini Hospital, he's the one that's talking to the kids and all that. So I'm sure he's a nice guy. But on the football field, you've got to be able to play properly. So all the personality contests count for naught. You've got to contribute on the pitch effectively and help your team get the results. And I think that genie is one of those really error-prone players. So it would have been good if he got off the sump books. And I really hope that sump do get bought out soon so in January we can actually buy decent defenders. I'm not expected to be like Liverpool who bought Virgil van Dijk and spent seventy-five million pounds, mind you. That turned out to be a fantastic investment. But at least get us someone that's half decent, not some, uh, not some tree trunks. That'd be nice. Get on to Martin Scuttle. Martin? No, I'd go. rather have Trent Sainsbury. I'm um, playing a free.
3: Well, Vasco, Vasco Rodini has been on Sam's books for ten years now. Obviously, he's he's left on loan, and he went to Empoli, and he came back, but. 10 years. He got mm. spal for the second half of last season as well. he, wasn't yeah, he was. But well, he didn't play too much. And when he did play, he wasn't mm. very impressive. But let's leave that game there as well, shall we? Um, I'll let you Please. guys choose where you want to go next. Vito, which match shall we do?
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Well, let's see. Well, we can talk about your team. Otherwise, we could briefly touch upon, uh, well, there was Roma
3: Sassuolo, six goals. Okay, I'm a professional, I don't have a team, so let's go to Rome, where we had Alistair McKenzie at the game, I'm not speaking to him, not that we're fighting, I'm just not speaking to him for this week's podcast, but there were six goals, four of them came in the first half hour, Kev, and Henrik Mkhitaryan scored in his debut, onwards and upwards, it's a great sign.
0: Yeah, it it should be, you'd hope, because uh, they were quite bad last year, and you know, the the game was effectively over in 30 minutes. I mean, there's an element of the clinicalness of Mkhitaryan's finish, you know, Clivert when he ran through and just and finished that. Those are the sort of chances they were missing at times last year. I think it's weird when it all comes together in that that opening half an hour and then you're allowed to sit back. I'm not saying that's just why Sosilo pulled a couple of goals back. But, um, yeah, there's there's positive signs from them if they can turn four nils or early leads into sort of solid performances and not concede, I think.
3: Sassuolo, I think, will be involved in a lot of games like this this season. Not that they'll get pumped 4-2 all the time or be 4-0 down, but they're going to be quite entertaining. Um, Maybe not for their fans or for fans of teams playing them, but for me going along every couple of weeks, it might not be the worst place to go because there will be goals. You look at that team, there's not a lot of um, solidity going on at the back. I mean, Marlon, Vladekirikesh, and Ferrari as a back three. I know Alfred Duncan provides them with a lot of protection in front, but can't do it all by himself. Um, But yeah, Roma got a win, a win you'd expect them to get. Not really too much else to say. Justin Clivert, though, I'm happy for him, because I think he's still got a lot of potential that hasn't quite been tapped into yet at Roma. He he showed in glimpses last year, Vito, but he never quite found a consistency underneath Francesco.
2: No, he looked very raw, and I think it, even when Cengizunda got injured, he still wasn't getting looked at. There was that whole idea of converting Niccolò Zaniolo into a full strike winger, and that did not work out very well. Uh, Zaniolo has played his best football when he's used as a trequatista. Uh, the goal that he scored against uh, Sassuolo this evening was an excellent strike, and yeah, and hopefully this is a catalyst for him to kick on and do well at Roma because he too is another player that's been taking a lot of time to adapt to the Italian way of playing.
3: Yeah, let's hope so. But um, I was at the Stadio Palamazza in Ferrara today for Spal's win over Lazio and talk about a game of two halves. This was ridiculous. Lazio were the only team on the pitch in the first half, and then Lazio decided not to come back out for the second half. and It was just Spal mm-hmm. running at poor Thomas Strakosha's goal, and they completely come back. They won 2 1. Kev and Lazio need to not do this if they want to qualify for the Champions League. We, we've been optimistic about them this season, but then they come and do what they're generally capable of doing, which is just offering these kind of inexplicable poor uh, performances. and these types of things are the reason they don't qualify for the Champions League perhaps as much as they should.
0: Yeah and it was interesting that you say about they sort of didn't turn up the second half that the the, um, the highlights kind of showed that they had a, a, a few of the chances in the first half it didn't show that they were completely dominant but then this is where you make the comparison to Rome, uh, Roma that effectively took all of their chances they had in the first half hour and sort of Casado looked a little bit wasteful in front of goal and if you do that you leave yourself open to taking your well not maybe not consciously taking your foot off the gas or gas or allowing allowing the other side to to come into it and maybe it's early enough in the season that they will learn from this mistake hopefully and will provide that extra challenge to the Champions League places
3: you would hope so because they certainly have the quality I mean Sergei Milinkovic Savic and Joaquin Correa came off the bench for them today. So they do have that depth that they need to kind of challenge. But who knows? Um, is that, sorry, that, is is that, that you, an issue? Having Is depth? that an
0: issue that you have Correa and Milinkovic Savic on the bench? And then you I, the rest of the team almost think, well, Inzaghi clearly thinks that we can beat these without two of our stronger players. And then it, you know, so I just, I don't, I, I know you people have got to be managed for the time, you know, whether they're coming back from international duty or if they're carrying muscle fatigue, small knocks. But I do think it it does send a little bit of a message to the team that I we're playing mean, weak opposition.
3: It didn't strike me as a as a move where Enzagi was saying, Oh, this is gonna be easy because mm. you look at the midfield, they had Lulic Alberto, Lucas Leiva, Parolo and Lazzari, which is Strong and
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. that
3: is a, a midfield five that will play a lot of times for them this season. We've seen Milinkovic Savage not always start, same with Correa, right? Mm-hmm. These are two players that don't always get a game for varying reasons, even though they're probably two of the best players at the club. But I don't know, they should have been 3 0 up by half time. Casado was very close when he hit the post, Immobile could have scored another one, and then when he didn't, he teed up Casado and missed when he probably shouldn't have. Um, yeah. On another day, it was 3-0 at half time and done. But they've got to take those chances. They really, really do. Like, again, the goal came from a penalty, which still counts. But, yeah, it's one of those. Spal, let's have a little chat about Spal, because I got a bit excited today. Um, I was messaging you guys, I was messaging Dov, about big Andrea Patagno. Name an Italian striker who's been better over the last 12 months than him.
2: Uh, so from Fabio Cuellarella.
3: Yeah, because Kev hates him.
2: Oh. Well, probably, yeah, not really much else. You
3: can't, because there hasn't been one,
2: Vito. There hasn't. Belotti, possibly. But possibly. I suppose Bellotti were expecting a lot more.
3: Yes. Um, but the fact that we're even having a conversation about this, Andrea Britannia should be playing for Italy. He's...
2: Yeah, not Kevin Lasagna.
3: fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Um... I'd even go as far as to say not Chiro Mobile given his performances when he plays for Italy. Mm -hmm. Tanya's brilliant. I always praised him when he was at Atalanta as well, but I kind of had to stop short because he wasn't scoring goals and he is a striker. But he always did everything else. Now he's doing everything else and he's also scoring goals. He scored 16 in Serie A last season. He's already got two this year. He, He could be a plan B for Italy. He could be a plan A he can he can move but he's not the quickest but he moves more than he gets credit for he's strong he can be a little bit lazy sometimes but when he when he fancies it he's very very hard to stop Kev would you I know he was linked with like Lazio in the, in the summer transfer window would you be surprised or opposed to seeing him play for for Italy in the run-up to the European Championship?
0: Um, no, I think I think what we what you were sort of saying there earlier was the whole. Then the, now the numbers look a lot better. I think as a striker, if your numbers if your numbers aren't great, which they, they weren't at times for Atalanta, I I, look, I had a look earlier as you were alluding to us to, to discussing the young man. You, you know, now he's got those numbers. You can have an off game or even just not look as though you're involved in the game and your numbers still show that you should be given your chances, you should still be starting. Um, So, yeah, I don't see any reason why Italy shouldn't take a look at him. He's had, what, one, two caps? I think maybe only a solitary cap. But he's 24 now, he's coming into a crucial part of his career and that's probably why... Because I looked at it, it was was nine goals in 63 appearances for Atalanta, Mm. but you, you tell me... Or know better than I would how many of those games, if you like, were full ninety minutes. I imagine that he, he wasn't no, starting that young.
3: Most of them most of them would have been full ninety minutes, but his role wasn't really to score goals. It was to kind of bully everyone else, so then other players could arrive and score goals. But one thing that's really, really apparent with him now is he's so confident. Before with Atalanta, when he had a chance, you you never really expected him to score. One, because you hadn't seen him score regularly enough to believe that he could. And two, because he never looked like he backed himself. His job was purely to just go out there and be a handful and make space for the likes of um, of Gomez, for Cristante, and the even going back as far as Andrea Conti and Leonardo Spinazzola getting up on the wings. But now he's he's still able to do that bullying job, but he's also been given the responsibility of scoring the goals. You look at that spell team, their midfield, Marco D'Alessandro, Murgia, Miseroli, Kurtic and Reza. They're not going to score you goals. Kurtic will get you five a season, but um, Federico Di Francesco, he's not really a goal-scoring attacking player either. He's more of a creator. Um but Tanya has to score, and he's doing it. He's really, really, really impressing me at spell,
0: And I, I th- think he's... I think his body, you know, how he moves on the football pitch, his build, it, it all looks very workmanlike, where you take take somebody like Domen- uh, Domenico Berardi at Sassuolo, who looks more yeah, elegant, if you like, as a footballer and scores goals like he scored um, today. And I think that's where Patania always seems like a bit of an afterthought for the national side.
3: Yeah, if if I know that's not what you're saying, but if you were to offer me Patania or Berardi in any team in Serie A, or for Italy, I wouldn't consider it. It will be Patania any day of the week. variety will let you down. Patania, even if he doesn't quite hit the heights you expect of him, he'll do everything he can. And he's a bit of a nuisance. He's good, and he can kill players as well. But I don't know, Patania's good. I really, really want them to get a run out in October, November, because if Italy qualify for next summer, he's He's got to be there. If he gets another 15 goals this season, he's got to be on that team. Like, and if he's not, it's, it's ridiculous. But that'll do from that game. The Let's talk about the most entertaining team in Serie A. They were at it again. Atalanta. My God. Big Duvan. They, they won it in the 96th minute through a strike from Duvan Zapata. And it wasn't a bad hit.
2: <laughs> no, it was not at all. Yeah, well, yeah, it was well-taken chance. And also, for such a big guy, he moves really well. So with his physique, he's not like a tree trunk or an elephant. He, he, he's a smooth mover. And uh, he's not an easy guy to push over too. And this is what Atalanta need from him because he's been a fantastic scorer since arriving in Bergamo. And with the Champions League campaign coming up, I think he can be a real difference-maker for Ladea in those crucial European fixtures.
3: There's something so very satisfying about seeing both Duvan Zapata and Luis Muriel score in the same game. Kev, I'm sure this is something you will appreciate, seeing more than one attacking player score in the same match and them both look quite happy when the other scores.
0: Oh, well, yeah, I suppose there's... a. Uh... There's a friendly rivalry, isn't there, in trying to get to a top score of wit in the league or be it in the club. Um, you know, there was something about that as a patter strike that any oh. goal that hits the underside of the bike uh, the bar and then goes back up and hits the net again just makes it look that that little bit extra special. But um yeah, it was kinda of, they deserved they deserved the win, you know, because it was uh, I don't know your thoughts on the penalty, but it, it was It wasn't a penalty. It was a soft it was a soft decision for the penalty and the way it always concerns me when a team go and celebrate almost as if it was that that was the last kick of the game because you just think they've just there's not been an obvious mistake for there's a batter goal but you just always feel don't do this you know turn around run to the other end and just hold out for your Mm -hmm. point now but there you go
3: but to be fair they the they same. did score in the ninety second minute themselves, Genoa. So mm-hmm. you do think, all right, that's that then. But that yeah, that's a pattern goal is ridiculous.
0: Yeah, but maybe you shouldn't. You know, you know, whatever. You know how many minutes for? You know, you've had a VAR con- controversy before your penalty. They went, they, they weren't controversy, but you had some time that uh-huh. it, uh, elapsed because they were they were looking at the decision. So then you're not entirely sure how many minutes. <laughs> if any in Italy, are going to be added on beyond the injury time. So maybe they should have been a little bit more focused. But yes. I'd say that wasn't that wasn't the problem for the goal. But yeah, my objective no. perspective again.
3: Oh, I'm watching it. Can we try and describe it? So he, Martin Darun will get credited with the least deserving assist of all time for this as well, because Darun plays it to him. He's about, what, 25 yards out? And he just turns and thinks, all right, I'm having this. And he spanks it in yeah, off the bottom of the crossbar.
0: Just... He seems to hit it with very little backlift as well.
3: Yeah, that's what really caught me by it as but well. It, well
0: it looks very strange.
3: It doesn't look like he's league. about to hit it when he does. And you watch it knowing that you're about to watch a good goal, so you're thinking, Alright, he's gonna do something special here. But mm. it, it's phenomenal the power he got on that. He's great. It was he really is coming into his, himself and it will be interesting to see. If he can replicate the form he got last or the form he hit last season, because if he does and Luis Muriel even gets 10, 15 goals in Serie A this season, which he's well on track to do, Atalanta could well be the entertainers again this year. And yeah, they're up in Champions League action very, very soon, which is going to be interesting. If you don't really watch Serie A that much, watch them in Europe. You'll have fun. Whether they win or lose, they'll entertain you. Um, the other games, speaking of entertainment, actually, Brescia. This was this was nice. Uh, Brescia threw away a 3-1 lead at home to Bologna and lost 4-3. It was Bologna's first game without Sinisa Mihailovic on the bench, Vito, but it, they got the they got the result and it was good to see. They showed real, real fight for him.
2: Well, I think that's what we should be expecting from Bologna this season. So even if they are trailing games and so forth, uh, they will have that fight, and, you know, they were well-taking goals. Most of them came through set pieces, and well, a couple of them anyway. But, yeah, it was good. You know, Palacio, Ursolini, they were crucial. Sansone provided the cross for Barney for the first goal. So, yeah, offensively, I think uh, Bologna are a very good side. They're probably the most attack-minded uh, Mahalovich side I've probably seen, and I'm sure I've said that already on the pod. And I think it's this kind of fight that's needed, not just because of what he's going through off the field, but I think Bologna themselves, they need to play in this kind of way and have this mentality because the way the game is these days, you can have a big lead, but there's still a chance that the opposition can squander it because of either fatigue or complacency. Uh, one more thing I will add, though, is probably the sending off the nearly the centre did put things in... Uh, Bologna's favour, did change the momentum, but I still believe the Felsiné deserve credit for coming back like they did. And I think it's also a, an example of the mentality change that Mahalovic has brought since he replaced Filippo Inzaghi as coach.
3: Kev, what do you make of this?
0: Well, the game, um, I, I thought the defence... All the goals, for almost all seven goals, some of the defending was... Was terrible, uh, or you know, some of that was just out of luck rather than judgment. the the first The first one that allowed Bologna to pull a goal back, I don't know what the goalkeeper was doing. He comes out for something that he probably saves if he stays on his line, oh. because he's never going to reach the cross. All the players are congregated just beyond the penalty spot, and then he sort of dive into stretch to get there. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it's I was very very impressed when I saw Bologna live towards the back end of last season. And there's something that Mihailovic does instil in his sides, the, the sort of fighting spirit. And, you know, they're, they're, I know we're three games into the season, but they're second they're second at the moment just ahead of Juve, same points. I can see them having a real good go at Europe this year if they keep those performances up. If you look at the improvement that, that Mihailovic made yeah. to the team last season... Um, I think they can, you know, because they will, they will experience a dip at some point in the season this year. But I fully expect that to only be for a, a short time, maybe a difficult run of games where they're facing strong opposition. But, yeah, I, I, I think they're going to do really well. Well,
3: after Matovic took over last season, it was, them and Atalanta were the two best teams in Serie A between then and the end of the season. So this isn't just us judging them on three games this year. It's an no. extension of what we've seen since, what was it, January? January, February when Michalovic went in there?
2: February and at the most. Because places. before
3: that, this time last year, Bologna were the worst team I've ever seen. I remember <laughs> criticising them on the podcast every week and I wasn't exaggerating. They were turgid. They had nothing going forward. They were relying on Federico Santander and It was awful to watch. And now they're actually quite entertaining. Um, Rodrigo Palacio scored because he wasn't playing at the Dallara because I'm pretty sure he still hasn't scored there as a Bologna player. But the fans love him. Um I was speaking to Alessio about this today, actually, and he was like, Oh, of course Palacio scores away from home. But did you see the pass he played for Riccardo Orsolini's goal? That was it was like the typical Lovely. pass that Insignia plays to Callejón for Napoli every week. It was really, really good. Um Alessio actually, if you want to go and get him on Twitter, you'll see this Alessio de Giuseppe. He bologna fans deserve a bit of credit. They always deserve credit because they're a fantastic support. But when they got back to Brescia this evening, um, not all of them I should say, it was probably about 50, went to the hospital where Mihailovic is and basically stood outside clapping and singing until he popped his head out the window and then they all got very very happy and were singing his name which I thought was quite quite moving, quite a nice touch Um, and obviously we continue to wish him all the best with his recovery but as you were saying about Bologna, they will experience a dip this season and all of anything they do is going to be so dependent on his health basically between now and may
0: yeah and it's it it can go one or two ways i think if 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 he's struggling but is it in a a time of adversity i think you really do often take a sort of a a long hard look at yourself but then there's one person will cope with that by putting in extra effort the other one will start looking at their own mortality and maybe, you know, if they're naturally inclined to worry, may struggle to sort of dig those performances out. I think if you've got the majority doing the former and dragging the rest through, I think they'll be they'll be fine. And I think it will just turn into an extension of Mihailovic's sort of fighting ability that will get them through those periods. Let's hope so.
3: Um, Kaliri got a big win at Parma. I wasn't there for this. But Bruno Alves smacked the post, and then it all went wrong for Palma. Uh, Luca Cappitelli scored twice, believe it or not. And Antonino Barilla scored for Palma before there was a bit of a penalty drama. Uh, Giovanni Simeone scored for Cagliari as well, which was a well-taken goal. To be fair, he, he ran at Bruno Alves, decided probably best to not try and take a past this guy. So he just took a shot from the edge of the box and went in the bottom corner. It's good. Um, yeah, are we going to talk about VAR can we not? Because just give it a few yeah. weeks and it'll be all okay again. Because it's it's been a bit ropey at the start of each of the three seasons.
0: Yeah. Well, they didn't yeah. even show... They didn't. Even, I'm watching the game back now but I'm doing this, but they didn't even show yeah. the bar on the highlights. They weren't that uh, concerned but, with it, so why should we?
3: Yeah, well, people were kind of losing their heads on Twitter about this, but I don't really see why. Um, There was a, a header that bounced off a calorie defender's hand and the referee gave a penalty and then it was overturned. Personally, I don't think it was a penalty because it was very, very close when...
0: Ah, uh, it was Ragnar Clavin.
3: Yes, that's exactly, exactly I think what it was.
0: It, yeah, I think it hit his shoulder almost near his collarbone mm. and I wasn't even convinced that it hit his arm afterwards.
3: Mm. But,
0: but yeah, it was, it was very, very difficult. It would have been very, very harsh.
3: Yeah, I'm not having that. It's not a penalty. Um, and even if it was a penalty, you can't know definitively enough to say that it was. So, We'll leave it there. Parma will be okay. You'd hope. But there's one more game. Oh, no, it's tomorrow night. Torino lecture. Right. That'll do. Anything else? Is that it?
0: Yeah, I think so.
3: When are you coming to Italy, Kev? Uh,
0: I am now in Italy the 22nd of November.
3: That's your next trip?
0: Yes, because... Well, sorry, I'm in Naples uh, Tuesday for uh, oh, okay. the Champions League. Although I will be in the away section. Oh, that'll be fun. Um Yeah, so I can't wait. I've got to get on a bus apparently at six PM for a nine PM game.
3: That's late enough. I thought you'd be on the bus at about three PM
0: to be honest. Well yeah. that's when they're that's when they're starting the buses. Our final <laughs> bus is okay. six PM But you okay. know yeah, we we were there last year. It was fine. The people of Naples were more than hospitable. Kev, they're amazing.
3: Um, <laughs> Napolitani are amazing.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not sure if it's just around the stadium that they're more concerned about the safety, but yeah. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Vito, when are you here?
2: Uh, two more weeks.
3: Ah, that's quite a while away. I thought it was this weekend for some reason.
2: No, I'll be in Germany this weekend.
3: You're here for Sam Winter, right? That weekend? Yes, okay, that weekend. Okay, the 28th. Weekend. All right, perfect, fine. That's good. I'll get my bearings together before then.
0: So We need uh, we need Rodrigo de Paul in Vito's room because he looks like he's needed a slap in the face because his, uh, <laughs> his jet lag has been getting the better of him, I think, because we've been going along. Yeah, he looks tired. Yes.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, thanks for making me not the tiredest person on the podcast this week, Vito. It's, it's all
2: right, Connor. <laughs> That's what happens when you travel from one side of the world to the other. Yeah. I'm, I'm drinking with me. Uh, if only I had the stamina to last longer last night.
3: You couldn't last longer than the old man. No. Oh, my God. On that note, uh, we'll stop recording so that people don't have to listen to this. We'll continue this offer. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Go over to ForzaItalianFootball.com for all of your Serie A coverage, features. I've written about Andrea Patania and yeah. the Serie A kickoff times and not really knowing what Spal's identity is actually supposed to be in my yeah. podcast feature from Ferraris. I head over and read that. Kev is going to be writing about Bologna. Oh, I am. He is. Um, Dov has written about Stefano Sensi and probably something else. So we've got loads up there. Go and read it all. We'll have more to come as well, especially with the Champions League. Come back. Yeah. It's going to be fun. We'll speak to you next week. Goodbye.
0: Bye. Spa,
1: Spa, uma dica Spa, magica, spa.